Praise God. Listen, I want to welcome those of you who are watching online today. It's a privilege to join you where you are and for you to join us here where we are today. Welcome this morning to New Life Church on this uh, fall Sunday morning. Uh, we're just a few days away from Thanksgiving, and that's around the corner. And, uh, but I'm going to talk a little bit today about... Uh, in our series, as we are concluding a series called Habits. Let me, let me invite you to open up to the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. While you go there, I'm going to revisit our springboard scripture, if you will, for this series called Habits. It's Proverbs 5.21 out of the Passion, <clears throat> where it says, For God sees everything you do, and His eyes are wide open... As he observes every single habit you have. We're in a series called Habits. We've talked about two of them. We're going to finish with the third one today. The first two was the, were the habits of living by faith. And then last week the habit of living by the Spirit. And I encourage you if you missed any of those. Uh, I, you really want to go back and get those. Um, they're just timely. And the Lord has really spoken to us through these through this series, and you can go to our YouTube page or our, our uh, website, newlifechurchofjackson.org. You can get those, uh, that series. And then today we're going to finish up with a message, habit number three, called Living by the Gap. Living by the Gap, not the clothing store, all right, not the store, uh, but living by the gap, giving and praying. Living by the habit of giving and praying. Let's look at this here in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. This is right in the middle of what is famously called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, theologians subscribe to the thought that, that even though it's recorded in an entirety here in Matthew's Gospel, that this was the the normal way of teaching for Jesus, wherever he would go and set up opportunities and camps to speak or what have you, this was his central message. All of these things collectively would come out over time. So let's look at chapter 6, verse 1. <clears throat> Jesus says, Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything, there it is again, your father who sees everything will reward you. Now there's, you, you got to pay attention to that. God sees everything. We say that, we think, okay, he sees everything. He's all knowing. He's, he's everywhere and he sees everything. But here's the thing, when he sees everything, when we, he sees us do and live in a way that will honor him, maybe when others aren't aware or see it, he sees it. And he always knows when he's going to bring about a reward. He sees our habits. And one of the habits that we need to practice and should develop in our life. Now remember, habits, 
Habits aren't something we're born with. Habits are something we form and we develop over time. But ultimately, habits will determine our outcome. Now, it takes, takes some time to develop habits, but it also takes some time to break some bad habits that we, that we don't have to and shouldn't have in our life. But to develop a good habit, and this is one of those habits that Jesus teaches on and expounds on, the habit of giving and the habit of praying. Uh, and here in the, in the habit of giving, he, he, he starts out and he, he says, look, you, you, two different ways about when it comes to giving and helping others and being there to be a blessing in other people's lives. You can either, one, give with the need to always have to have attention drawn to yourself and to have acknowledgement for what you've done. If so, your reward will be whatever those people might say about you. That will be the end of it. That will be all of it. You give, and you've got to have attention drawn to yourself for giving and helping somebody, and someone says, wow, that was so good of you. Bless you. Thanks for doing that. Pat on the back. He's like, look, if you did it for that, then that's all you're going to get. <clears throat> but he said the other alternative is to give without letting other people know you're giving. Help other people out without making a big deal out of it. You know, calling a press conference. Today, I'm going to write a check, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to give that, and I just want the world to know what I'm doing. He said, Don't, if you, if, he said you can give like that, and that's what you're going to get, or give in a way where you're not tooting your own horn, so to speak, where, where you're not making a big deal about yourself, and you're going to serve, you're going to give, you're going to help, you're going to bless. And he said, then your father, God, who sees everything, he then will reward you. Now, if you're on that side of, of giving, and you've been on that side of giving, and you know what that's like when God blesses you for blessing someone else, and you didn't make a big deal about it, his blessing really touches your heart, does it not? When God comes around and he's like, now's the time, I'm going to send something back your way. I'm going to put this blessing back into your life or put this into your life because of your heart in this. It matters so much more. It matters so much more. Now, you got to remember, here's the thing with Jesus. Jesus took this whole thing about a relationship with God to a whole nother level, whole nother level, all right? He took it to a whole nother level. He went so far to say it's about the heart of the matter and not so much about the external appearance of a given situation. It's about the attitude of the heart. And he said you can give in either one of those ways. You can bless people in either one of those ways. You can live your life in either one of those ways. You can get a blessing from people or you can do it in such a way to where your heart is right before the Lord and God himself will bless you. God himself will reward you. And now here's the thing. Jesus goes on. He spends the latter half of this chapter, which we're not going to read, but he spends the latter half of this chapter teaching on possessions and money. Money and possession. He doesn't teach that it's bad to have. doesn't teach that it's wrong to possess anything. What he teaches on is what you do with it and how you handle it and how you, how you acquire it and then where it ranks in your, in your priority, so to speak, in your heart. He, he talked about money and possessions in the latter half of this chapter, and he says, he says things like, hey, don't worry about what you need. 
but seek first the kingdom of God. And when you do, God will add to your life what you need. He will add to your life what you need. Jesus goes on, he tells us, he says, hey, don't store treasures in earth, but store treasures in heaven because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will also be. Now, I like to break it down this way and, and, and say he calls us in as followers of him. And when he calls us into followers of him and his ways, he doesn't do it for, because he doesn't like us. He knows his ways are best. His methods are best. His, his, his thoughts and his ways for our life are perfect and higher than ours. And so he's got, he's got an angle on it. He has an advantage. He knows. And so he gives us these. And so I, I break it down like this and say trying to live what he's called us into is to live with a mentality and a practice of living hot. H-O-T. Living to honor God, living to obey God, and living to trust God. All right? Living to honor God with our tithe, living to obey God by being generous, and living to trust God that he will take care of our needs. Now, if we show hands, I'm pretty sure most of us, if not all of us, have tasted how God has been faithful and how God has provided and how God has helped us in our life. And, and, and you honor him and we obey him and then we trust him to do so. Now, I want to zero in on a moment uh, on this thought of, about obeying God with generosity. Obeying God with generosity. The Bible teaches us to be generous not only to others, but also we are called to be generous to ourselves based on the second commandment, the second greatest commandment, and the golden rule. Second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And the golden rule, Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 7, do unto others and treat others the way you would have them treat you, right? So if we're going to be generous to ourself, then we are also called to be generous to others. If we're going to be kind and generous to others, we should also be kind and generous to ourselves. I think Jesus looks at it in, in, his, in his way of gauging lives, engaging situations, engaging the, the minds of people, is, is it's about the heart. It's about what is happening inside, internally, in our soul, and in our mind, and in our, in, in, in our heart, and how it kind of all processes. Now, the Bible's clear that teaches us that, especially in Proverbs, that we're called to, we should work, we should be diligent, we should be faithful, we should be punctual, we should be the kind of person that others can look up to, and in so doing, we work hard, we, we gain, and we, we possess, and we, can, we are called, taught to save. Proverbs teaches us to save as well. It's not a bad thing to save, but it also teaches us in, in that, that hey, if you're lazy, you don't get anything. If you don't work, you won't have. You don't work, you won't eat, you don't, you don't do something, you won't, you won't gain anything. Pretty clear. But then, he, but then it also teaches us in that, that we can't just live for ourselves. That we can't just pay attention to just our little corner of the world, our, little, our life, and only feed it and not pay attention to others. Because it's very clear throughout the Gospels and throughout the entire New Testament, the church 
followers of Christ, the people of God, are called to not only pay attention to themselves, but we're called to pay attention to those around us. And so, then we're called to be generous, obeying God by being generous to other people. Now, Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. In other words, there's always going to be people and needs that are always going to be needed to pay attention to and to help meet and to help serve and to help provide for. Those are always going to be there. And then it was the beginning, it's the early practice of the church when the church started in Acts chapter 2. It said that they, they sold things, gave things to meet needs of themselves, and they helped meet needs of other people. You see that throughout the book of Acts and then so on and so forth uh, in, throughout the entire rest of the New Testament. Proverbs goes on and says this. Look at Proverbs 11, verse 24. It says, Give freely, and you will become more wealthy. Be stingy, and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. New Testament tag to that is, you, whatever you sow, you will also reap, Right? It, it always amazes me. I've been around some pretty generous people, and, and I'm always amazed that when I see other people, people who are really generous to bless others, help others, or what have you, it just always blesses me to just see it or to know it. And they may not even know, I know I'm aware of it or, or, or what have you, but it challenges me. It challenges me to dig deeper into my heart and, and to not be so isolated to myself and to pay attention to the needs of other people. People. Proverbs goes on and says this in Proverbs 28, verse 27. Whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing. But those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. Now, I, I'm not, I don't have to educate and teach this church how to be generous because you, this church has been, has been being generous uh, for decades, a long time. This church has a rich history of, of generosity, and, and, and regardless of our size over the years, this church has always risen to, to the occasions of pouring into other people's lives. I mean, I can't even count how many times, how many stories, how many opportunities, and how, how many splashes this church has made. And someone told me once a long time ago, it's not about making the biggest splash so much as so as you just keep on splashing. And that's something this church has always been able to do, to just constantly keep on splashing. Not for itself, but to make a ripple effect of change and of help and of assistance in other people's lives. From this very city and this, this county and this community all the way across the United States and around other parts of this world, this church, for a long time, has been making a big difference in being generous. And Jesus goes on in, in one of his uh, final words, if you will, in Matthew 25 about the final judgment in Matthew 25, verse 40. He was telling the story about the sheep and the goats. And he says, And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Doing what? Doing what exactly? Well, he highlights that. He says, You, you fed the hungry. You gave drink to the thirsty. You were kind to strangers. You clothed the homeless. You cared for the sick. You visited those in 
prison. He said, that's what I'm looking for. He said, you did it to those you were actually doing it unto me. So our generosity to other people actually is a sign of our generosity of our heart, that our heart belongs to the Lord when we're generous. Because, I mean, you can't take away, you can't, you can't shy away from truth. Whatever you sow is also what you reap. To the measure you give is the measure you will receive. In any, you take anything, a kind word, a dollar amount, an object, whatever it is we sow, whatever it is we are generous with, our time, whatever it is, God has a way of reciprocating. And then here's the thing with him. He'll go so far and say, I'll give you 30, 60, 100 fold above what you did. Now he's the one who knows which math to use at whatever given time. That's why we can never shortcut what God is able to do. When we are generous with our hearts, we are generous with our resources. I mean, it started all the way back with Abraham. God told him, you will be blessed to be a blessing. And the same principle and the truth of that word applies to the New Testament church today and to individuals of Christ, followers of Christ, that whatever he, however he has blessed you, he blesses you not just for you, not just for me, but he blesses us so that we can also be a blessing to other people. Now, we are embarking on the beginning. I know Thanksgiving is around the corner, but we, <clears throat> we purposely try to get a jump on what we call our Christmas blessing offering. We start it around, we're starting it today, and it will carry on for five weeks. Now, here's the thing. Our church, over the years, touches on all of those things Jesus talked about in Matthew 25. The poor, the persecuted, the sick, the homeless, the missionary, to the household of faith, you name it. Our church touches on all of those areas in some capacity. And I think we've got, a, we've got a, um, a slide, and it will be also be on our website, that you can see um, the Christmas uh, blessing offering. And the different ways, I know it's kind of maybe far for you to see, um, but we, we, we're going to be blessing Rifa, we're going to be blessing First Love International in South Africa, uh, the Voice of the Martyrs, uh, Reach India, Outpost of Freedom, The Bridge, our veterans, and our household of faith right here in New Life Church. And so all of these different areas, from the poor to the sick to the homeless, to the missionary to the household of faith, our Christmas blessing offering, all of it that we collect over the next five weeks will go to be a blessing in all of those different lives right here and around the world. And so I'm always amazed every year at how our church always steps up, always rises to the occasion, always digs a little deeper and gives into this offering. And so I just I want to put that out there before you. Here in a little bit, as we get ready to close our service, James will tell us how, uh, and those opportunities, on how we can actually give into that particular offering. You can do it starting today, all the way through the middle of December. All right? Now, Jesus not only taught us and teaches on and, 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 and practiced this habit of giving, but he also practiced and taught us about having the habit of praying. Now, the reason I'm touching on both of these in one setting is, as you'll see at the end, but these two go hand in hand. 
All right, let's look at what he says about praying. Chapter 6, verse 5, he says, Hey, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. So I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. See the pattern here? He says, but when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, pray to your Father in private, then your Father who sees everything will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble on and on and on as people of other religions do. They, they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Verse 8, don't be like them, don't be like them. Stop it. Don't be like them. He's like telling us that. Your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Same pattern about giving can give with the the attention of needing, the attention and acknowledgement of others or not. Praying, in other words, can pray without needing the attention of other people, or you can pray trying to just truly connect with God. And that's what Jesus is going after. He says, hey, when you pray, go off by yourself. In fact, the Bible, the Gospels were cleared a few different times through the Gospels. It shows Jesus went off by himself to pray. He didn't want to be bothered. He didn't want to have other people listening in on what he was talking to God about. That was just him and the Father talking and communing and relating and connecting. And Jesus was teaching this, hey, don't make this a religious thing here. So don't make it a religious thing, thinking you can babble and repeat and recite things, and that's going to make you righteous and connect with God. He's like, that, that, is, that has nothing to do with it. Remember, Jesus came to deal with the heart And all of these people he's talking about here, he's like, look, they're doing it for the attention. And who is the one who really wants your attention? It's not the people, it's God. God wants to connect with you. God wants to meet you right where you are, all right? He says, so, it's not a game. It's not a superstition. You you say three three prayers like this and say this like this, then everything will be all right. He's like, "It, it has so much more weight has so much more vitality to it than that. This is about relationship. It's, a, it's not about all the liturgical things you can follow and flow through and dot your I's and cross your teeth. It's about coming to God just as you are and God meeting you right where you are and Him hearing you right where you are with what you are saying. He knows. And you don't have to try to get your sentences formed just right. You don't have to try to phrase and preface and, and, and anything before God. He knows exactly what you're saying. He knows exactly what you're trying to say because God knows exactly the issues of your heart. It's about connecting with God the Father in a sincere relationship. And then he goes on. And he lays out seven layers of prayer. Seven layers of prayer. And he starts out like this. We sang the song this morning. Our Father in heaven. He says, when you pray, pray like this. What he's saying is, look, don't, it's not about reciting this prayer as much as it is about the pattern of this prayer. All right? Now, I, have, I am no master on prayer. I've never written a book on prayer. 
I've read a lot of books on prayer, but I am no master of prayer because I don't pray near enough. I stopped concentrating on how many minutes I pray and tried to shift my thinking to not letting so many, many minutes go by without praying. To make my day, make myself be more mindful of God throughout my day and not about a certain point in the day, but to live my days being mindful of Him. And he says, our Father, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven. I love that. It's inclusive, our, meaning anyone who calls on his name, the Bible teaches, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Our Father. He is the Father of all. There is no other Father. There is no other God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's our Father approaching him in this world way to see this and to know this and to recognize this, that he, when we come to God, we recognize that He is God, we are not, and neither is anyone else. That we recognize Him for who He is, our Father. He reigns on the throne. He reigns on the throne. God's not afraid of this world. He created this world. God's not afraid of giving people free will. He gave us free will. God has the power to close and shut and open and stay open. Whatever and anything he wants to do, he can. He has the power and the ability. He's not shrinking back from our 2020. He's not afraid of 2020. He didn't start it. He didn't instigate it. But he sure isn't removed from it either. He is not removed from this. He says, when you pray, go to him with sincerity and understanding. God, you are my Father in heaven. And then he goes on with the next part. Verse, now the next three parts of this, verses 9, the rest of 9 and 10, deal with relation to God and what He desires in our, in our life, if we would just pray. He says this, is your name, your kingdom, your will. Let's look at that, verse 9. Your name be kept holy. Or other word, another way of, that it's probably, you probably know it is hallowed be thy name. So I was reminded twice this week, once from my daughter and once from a member here today, we were talking about this prayer. and A little kid went to, to his mom and said, Hey, I know God's name. It's Howard. Howard, what, how do you, what, who told you his name is Howard? Mom, our Father who art in heaven, Howard be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. And the New Living Translation says, your name be kept holy. In other words, our relationship with God is one that we are to worship him first. Jesus said this in his temptation in the 40 days in the wilderness with the enemy, with the devil. He said, you are to worship God. And serve the Lord your God only. Your name be kept holy. Hallowed be thy name. We should have an expression of worship, an expression of thanks, an expression of love to our God. It's not always about gimme, 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 gimme. Daddy, 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 daddy. I hear that a lot in the natural. But I love it just out of nowhere when my kids say, Daddy, 
what? I love you. They didn't ask for nothing. They just said, I love you. Now, God wants us to ask. God wants us to talk to him about what we need. But before anything, it's about worship. It's about honor. It's about love. It's about thanks. Because his name being kept holy means his name is not a good luck charm. (laughs) It's not a rabbit's foot in our pocket. Or a four-leaf clover. Or whatever else superstition that we subscribe to. His name is holy. His name is to be revered. His name is to be respected. His name, the name of God, is relational as well. Then he says this, verse 10. Talking about the seven layers of prayer. He says, may your kingdom come soon. May your kingdom come soon. Part of our heart with God, our relationship with God, should be a desire to see and have His authority, His lordship, His rule, and His reign expressed in our life. That God, You are in charge of me. You are the one who rules in my life. Your ways, Your will, what You want for me is what I want. And He says, Your kingdom come. I'm not in charge. God, you are in charge. Your kingdom come. So in our relationship, and our approach with God, it's your kingdom come in my life. I want your power, your might, your authority to be at rest in me. That I can sit in the palm of your hand and know that God, you really do have the whole world in your hand. And he goes on and says this, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our approach and our relationship with God is praying, God, not only do I worship you and thank you and express my love for you, and not only do I want your authority and your rule and your lordship to be happening in me, but also I need your will to be done. I want your will to be done because we understand his ways are higher than ours. His ways are perfect, way above our ways. And what is happening in heaven, he's saying, Jesus said, pray that it can also be done here on earth. We have that ability and that opportunity and that dominion to ask God, hey, as it is in heaven, your will also be done on earth. Think about the limitless goodness of heaven. There is a portion of heaven that can be put down here on earth. Jesus healed those who were sick. Jesus raised those who were dead. Jesus cast out demons out of people's lives. Jesus turned water into wine. Somebody said hallelujah. Jesus caused the fishermen to catch more fish than they were able to even catch and take in on their own. That's part of heaven. And Jesus is saying, look, when you pray, pray, your will be done on earth as it is in 
heaven. He said, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. As followers of Jesus, we have an authority that comes in the, in the power and the image and the likeness of Christ in our life that we, can, we are not supposed to walk around limp-wristed and defeated people. We are called to be people who are victorious, people who are on the offense and not playing defense, people who are about advancing and not retreating, people who are about pushing ahead and not shrinking back, people who put this practice of the principles of God into play that when we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done right here in this situation, in my life. Now, he knows whether or not it'll actually happen but it should not and it does not defeat the call to the action of praying your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we have to always come back to the fact that God is all wisdom. And he knows when and how he should open and close and move a certain thing. And we have to trust in his sovereignty regarding it. Because it's his kingdom and it's his will. And remember this, his will will not override our will. But we should approach and want his will to be done in our life. Amen? Now the last three of these are in relation to our concerns and our wants and our needs. That if we pray, God wants to help meet these. Verse 11. It says, give us today the food we need, or give us our daily bread, our daily needs. Give us daily dependence on our heavenly Father. God set this whole thing up for his creation to have a daily dependence on him. Remember when... God was leading the Israelites towards the promised land, and he told them, hey, only gather enough manna for the day. Each day for that day. Don't get too much. Don't get more than you need. Get exactly what you are supposed to have. In other words, here's some things he teaches us about daily dependence. To not be greedy. To not be self-sufficient. To be mindful of other people. That's why I just don't, if you do this, hey, I'm not knocking you. But I, I can't, I, I hate the videos of Black Friday shopping. People walking all over people. I mean, DDTing them and elbowing them, pile driving them, Diamond Dallas paging them. I mean, all over the place. Just so they can get that 50 inch plasma or whatever. Right? And people tripping people. I mean, you see it. I don't know if it's even happening this year, if they're even going to be doing that kind of stuff. But, uh, but that is the kind of world we live in. People want to get theirs. And as Christians, we got to remember, it's not that we don't care, or we don't want or have needs. It's that we're not called, the kingdom of God is not called to be greedy. The kingdom of God is called to honor other people. The kingdom of God is called to be mindful of other people. That's why the, the, the Ten Commandments, Jesus laid, or God lays out the Ten Commandments, and Jesus said they're fulfilled in, the, in two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We love our neighbor as ourselves, and we love God. We're not going to cheat. We're not going to lie. We're not going to steal. We're not going to murder. We're not going to take. We're not going to do all that. 
We're going to be honest. We're going to be upright. We're going to have God as the forefront and the first in our life. All those things. He's like, if we live by that, man, we got it. But we can't live by that. Man has created, I don't know how many thousands of laws, and we can't seem to live by ten. And it's really just two. And then those two encompass all the others. We don't really have that much. You you know the Ten Commandments? I really, if you just know the two, you're going to know the Ten Commandments. But the Ten Commandments is not just about being known. It's about being known in our heart. It's not about being read on a stone as much as it is that is supposed to be imprinted in our spirit. Love the Lord, your God. And then he teaches us when we depend on him daily, it's to be honest. So when we pray, God, I have needs, yeah. God's like, I know exactly you have needs. I know before you even ask me, Jesus said, he knows exactly what you have need of, but he still wants us to ask him because he still wants to show us he is Father God and we are not. How he will provide if we will just practice his ways. And then verse 12 Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Forgive us as we also forgive. Here, this give it to you simple. God doesn't hold things against us when we ask him for forgiveness, and neither should we hold things against other people. Now, I know there are lots of scenarios and situations and things to that nature. I get that. But to... Keep it as concise and general as what I think Jesus is saying is, look, try as you can, live with a forgiving heart. People are going to wrong you. Things are going to be done unjustly and unfair against you. Because, but, because here's the thing, forgiveness is not about them. Forgiveness is about you. When you release somebody and forgive them, they no longer have power in your mind. They, they, their name could be mentioned and it has no power in you because you forgave and you released it. So forgiveness is not about them as much as it is about the one who needs to forgive. And we pray, God, forgive me as I also will walk in forgiveness towards other people. I got limited time and I got so much I want to say, but I'll stick to my notes. Verse 13, the last layer of prayer. You guys with me? Verse 13. It says, And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us or deliver us from the evil one. The first three were about him, your name, your kingdom, your will. The last three about us. Give us, forgive us, don't let us. David prayed this prayer in Psalm 141 for. He said, guide me away from temptation and doing evil. Save me from my sinful habits. That's a thing. This pattern of prayer should be visible and seen in in a part of the makeup of our conversation with God. That God, as I live my day today, lead me away from temptation. Remember, God does not tempt. The enemy tempts. God tests, but the enemy tempts. James 1. God, lead me away. Don't let me fall into temptation. 
But if I happen to yield and I do fall short, deliver me. There's hope. There's hope. It, deliver me from this. Don't let it take a hold of me. I don't want to live in this way and in this cycle. You see, giving and praying go together as a habit because we are called to worship God from our hearts and we are called to serve God with our hands. That a person who lives by praying without giving, it can lead to a self-righteous life because we become pious. Like Jesus spoke against these religious folk. Don't be like them, he said. Don't be like them. They, they pray so they can be heard. They, know, they can quote the law and they can do this and they can do that, but they ignore people around them. We, we live in such a give-it-to-me-now society. I don't know if you have noticed lately, but people are driving even more aggressive than they ever have before. It just goes to show us we are so quick to get ours, to be about our thing, that we don't really always notice others around us. A person who gives without praying can lead to a self-sufficient life. So what you give, Paul says. So what you make and do all the big things you can do. If you have not love, it's empty. Love is God. Love comes from God. We get love because we spend time with God. Praying. A person who gives but doesn't pray can lead to a self-sufficient life. I did this. I built that. I made that. I started that. I sustain that. I'm keeping with this. I'm making this happen. And God is a distant thought, not a forethought. But a person and a people who live by the habit of giving and praying leads to a sovereign, dependent life. A sovereign, dependent life. God leads. God guides. God provides. God empowers. God is in charge. God knows what's around the corner. God is the one who oversees and overshadows our life. That if we will just trust him, lean into him, Spend our time with Him. Connect with Him. Not just when we need something, but to just tell Him we love Him and we have this relationship with Him. Because here's the thing. Our, our world is only going to get scarier. I'm the bearer of good news today. Our world will only get tougher. And I don't like to say that. I don't like that because I've got three kids of my own and I can just only try to imagine what life will be like for them if the Lord tarries. 
I don't say that to scare anybody or to, you know, live by fear or what have you. I say that to say we will never promise easygoing days. And anybody who preaches an easygoing gospel doesn't know the hard road of the cross. We are called to be witnesses. How strong of a witness will we be? It's based on the kind of habits we foster in our life. Let me pray for you. If you're able to stand, let me pray for you. We pray these things. We pray, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. We pray, oh Lord, your name is hallowed. Your name is holy. We start, we pray those things. We'll begin to see those things happen in our life. That we begin to realize, God, give us today my daily bread. God, help me. Forgive me where I'm at and help me to forgive other people who wrong me and have it out for me. God, I don't want to live a life trapped in temptation. Deliver me. Set me free. Make me strong. As we pray and we, li- we put that into practice, we'll begin. You'll see the power of God's hand work in your life. That he wants to trust us He wants to put into our hands so that, one, He can show us He's our God, but also to show us, hey, we are called to help and to be generous to other people. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you. Thank you for our church. Help us, Lord, to live a life with the habit of giving and praying. That we are people of prayer and people of giving. We worship you from our hearts and we serve you with our hands. That we want to be the kind of people you can trust to lavish us and to pour into us. Because you know we won't be greedy and you know we won't be self-sufficient. You know we'll keep talking to you and worshiping you and coming to you and have a relationship with you. And so doing, you can use our life to help other people. Bless this church so that we can be a blessing this Christmas. Bless these homes, bless these hands, bless these hearts, bless these lives here in our church, oh God. Show us who you are. Show us your glory. Show us your love. Show us your power. Show us your provision. Show us, oh God, how you want to use our church this Christmas to be a blessing to other people. We honor you and we thank you as we draw near to you now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.